I pay homage to the Buddha. to the beloved Guru, to the Dharma and the Sangha. It is indeed a very, very uh, rare and precious occasion where one gets to sit under a tree and actually elucidate its magical qualities. You know, for this sharing to make any sort of sense, one of the questions that we need to address is, and I think we need to do, is to generate the right aspiration or the motivation, especially since this is definitely not a botany class, nor is it a class on environment education, and definitely not a tree huggers conference. So it's so important that what is the kind of aspiration that we need to generate so that this interaction becomes meaningful? So when I was thinking about that, you know, though we all have traveled, and especially, you know, all of us crossing mountains and seas and uh, plains to be here under the tree, believe me, Nirvana or any such thought is the last thing crossing my mind right now, nor in the past two days. What was happening was numerous checklists getting ticked. And even though I have this opportunity to sit under this tree, what happens is a series of rather mundane thoughts passing by. So, it, so what I thought was, it is so important for us to just surrender, and at least this is true for me, to the aspiration of Samantabhadra, which Deepa just recited now. Because if it were left to my aspirations, like I said, it would be just ticking off many checklists, figuring out what I'm to do next from here, and so on and so forth. Okay, so one of the things that we would think is, okay, is it enough because, you know, coming from a city and aspiration, yeah, that's, that's nice, it's, it's a very good idea. But what's, what's the benefit of making such an aspiration? I mean, we, we would li really like to know that. And of course, there's the answer, and many teachers have been sharing merit. Yeah, that, that is also nice. I mean, it's nice to have punya and merit. But, you know, benefit, that's, that's very important, because especially since we are all, our worldview is so much defined by the advertising industry. So for us, uh, you know, the benefit is so important as inspiration. 
So here also Samantabhadra, very beautifully, and in the context of the Bodhi tree, lists the benefit of actually making such an aspiration. This one, this benefit, we can trust because it is Samantabhadra's prayer. And what does he say? That those who make these aspirations, they will go quickly beneath the Bodhi tree. And for those of us who are Mahayana practitioners, the word quickly means a lot, especially since we're always talking in terms of eons. So this first sentence as a benefit was very, very encouraging for me. They will go quickly beneath the Bodhi tree and there they will sit to benefit all sentient beings then awaken into enlightenment, turn the wheel of dharma, and tame Mara with all his hordes. Now that is something worth aspiring for. Not only that, but we get an idea what actually happened under this tree. So with this as the basis for, you know, actually having this sharing, I would like you to see the entire sharing in this light, with this aspiration, and definitely keeping this benefit in mind. The Bodhi tree. You know, what is so special about this Bodhi tree? What is so special about this tree? I think most of the Indians who are sitting here, they'll agree with me that this is a question we get for fill in the blanks or true and false in the books. And we all have the answer to this. The answer is yes, Siddhartha sat under the Bodhi tree and he attained Nirvana. That was surely two marks. And believe me, that took what, like one minute. So when I saw the topic and 30 minutes next to it, I was wondering, what am I going to say for the rest 28 minutes? Like, this is so obvious. It's right here, and everybody knows this. But thanks to beloved Rinpoche and Oti Rinpoche, who granted me the access to see this tree in so many perspectives, in so many ways, and like someone who is excited by a new story, I've taken these small, small anecdotes and stories to share with you. Now, you may have heard some of this before, but I thought maybe you'd like to hear a few different perspectives of this tree. So when I was thinking Bodhi tree, that is the tree, which has a very, very concrete, very, very clear, defined form. It is something which our senses can reach very clearly. We can feel on the skin, the breeze, the smell, the, we can see the tree, we can taste in medis through medicines, which I'll share with you a little bit, all our senses can engage and the tree seems so very real. And it has many scientific research gone behind what is this tree about. So the tree tells us, gives us a lot of 
the concrete aspect, the aspect of being reachable seems more real. The bodhi aspect is the exact opposite. The tree seems more like something that we can know and the bodhi seems completely unknowable, the abstract, that which we find so difficult to define, the magic, the magical aspect. So when I'm going to share these stories, I'd like you to know that both these aspects is what I hope to bring in through these anecdotes. So there is the definite, the obvious, and then there is the magical, the legends of the story. True or false, I don't know, but they seem to work. The tree has a certain function, a workability. Bodhi, we don't know. But together, they can make a very, very powerful symbol for us to reach what the Buddha attained. So I would like to I would like to start with the Nama Rupa of the tree, the form, the description of this tree that you see. In most Indian states, there is a name for this tree. People, Pimpal, in Marathi, Pimpal Atsadhar, in Al in Malayalam, so many names for this. So clearly indicating that this tree does grow in most parts of India. And the thing about this wonderful tree is it, can, it happily grows in nooks, crevices, without any drama. And, you know, it, is, it, it just grows without too much care. It's easy to grow with a branch or a seed. And as an object of reverence, the oldest reference of this tree is seen in the Indus Valley Civilization in Mohenjo-daro on a seal. And not only in the Buddhist tradition, this tree is venerated in most Indian traditions. Many a times as an abode of many gods, deities, sometimes as a place which, as a, as a tree which creates the appropriate causes and conditions for meditative practice. So it is a very revered tree in India. It is also... Yeah, it's also called Ashwata in Sanskrit. There are also stories behind that. In, 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 in Ayurveda and in Unani medicine, this tree, in fact, every part of this tree is used in some sort of medicine preparation. The bark of this tree is known to have a lot of anti-inflammatory properties used for skin inflammations. You know, when I was going through this, there is a whole list. So actually, this is not really an exhaustive list that I'm giving you, but just to give you a glimpse that every part of this tree is used in some way uh, for medicine. The leaves, the juice of this leaves is a natural eardrop. Please don't try it without, you know, some sort of guidance, yeah? Uh, if it is traditionally done, then it's fine. But so, you know, as, as a eardrop, and then also it has digestive properties to help with digestion. 
the fruit the 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 fruit of this tree i think it is the fruit yeah the fig fruit when it's powdered i'm told it is very good for asthma for treatment of asthma and you know keeping the track clear and therefore allowing you to breathe more you know why i'm saying this will also make sense to you towards the end allowing you to breathe more freely and you know decongestion in the track also it has a a component called serotonin which is very good for human beings to promote memory this tree and most of us perhaps maybe we learned this in school in photosynthesis and now we kind of forgotten but a tree absorbs carbon dioxide in the day and gives out oxygen yeah and in the night it actually gets reversed but this tree this particular tree under certain conditions also absorbs carbon dioxide by a very peculiar unique system of photosynthesis called cam and gives out small quantities of oxygen even at night when you add this all up you can see that the cho choice of this tree may not really be a coincidence when you put this together that you could see the maybe it was not like a random tree which was there you know which would have just picked up there could have been a reason behind this choice there are so many more descriptions in medicine and and, and many of people have done a lot of scientific research and i have to mention this also because i know there are many of you who you know would want to know that yes there is research also from the medicine point of view to see hey does this really work so this is a small introduction to this beautiful tree from the point of view of its form and name now <coughs> i thought you know let's look at the gautama buddha and the tree you know it seems from when you i'm i'm sure you know this but when you know when you look at his life you see it seems like trees had a very important role to play in siddhartha's life of course you might say oh, come on asha there were only trees that time everything was just forest so what else could he do oh he could have sat in a cave or he could have built a small hut so it's not really that obvious of course the the tree cover did help but when you look at his life the buddha siddhartha was born under a sal tree then when he was a baby it said that he was taken to uruvela to seek the blessings of a tree deity who was also his protector deity then when he grew slightly older his father king sudodhana took him to a farm festival in the village once and after the ceremony was over like many 8 year olds he actually not many 8 year olds because he ran away from his attendants and he actually when they went searching for him he was sitting under a jambul tree and he was in padmasan meditating the jambul tree is uh, you know a purple berry indian berry most kids you know when we are children we keep eating them and trying to make the tongue as purple as possible and then we actually compare tongues whose is more purple so he was sitting under the jambul tree 
and in Padmasana and meditating. So some say this could very well be the first Bodhi tree. When he grew, of course, older and set out for his quest for freedom and to find out what is real freedom, after an intense penance and I think um, realizing the whole pointlessness of extremes, uh, when Sujata offers him the kheer, this too, this, this important realization too happened under a tree. Then, of course, the Buddha attained. It was under this tree, maybe not this exactly the same one, but it was under the Bodhi tree. The Buddha actually attained nirvana, which meant he could see his past lives, understand the cause of suffering, and realize the truth. It is, and that is under the Bodhi tree. It is also said that, you know, he was in deep contemplation for seven whole days. And then he, seven days, he kind of sat staring and, you know, without blinking and, and contemplating about the Bodhi tree. I think it's somewhere up there, if you see a little board, this has, this is written up there. You know, this is where he, stood and contemplated. So if you walk up, you can see that. And this is very interesting because many times this, they say that he stood there not blinking. So I wondered, so what? I mean, what about the part that he was not blinking? Uh, clearly it was not a staring down competition. So what was that about? And here I would like to bring in the the... What was the relationship between the Buddha and the Bodhi tree? And here I, I definitely would like to mention a mystic from my very own city, who was an excellent storyteller and who was a great admirer of the Buddha. In fact, everything about him spoke about his love for the Buddha. His name is Osho. So he talks about what was could have been happening when he was looking at the Bodhi tree. That I'll tell you a little later in the story, yeah? Okay, so after this, did Buddha forget all about trees? No. It is said that many times when the Buddha was traveling with the Sangha, the lay people complained to the Buddha that, you know, hey, many of the Sangha members are chopping down the trees for making arrangements for their own you know, to stay. So the Buddha, when he heard that, he was very uh, concerned because he said, hey, how, how can the son of Shakyas actually cut down trees? They're harming life. And it is said that there are certain rules put in the Vinaya Pitaka, perhaps the first set of environmental laws in the world were actually put down then as to how and what, how should we conduct ourselves with trees. And it was between the two shawl trees that the Buddha attained Parinirvana. So you can see that the Buddha had a very, very close connection with the trees. Till now, we can see that it seems that the Bodhi and the tree are still very separate. <coughs> In the Kalinga Bodhi Jataka, I think it is the volume four, 
I'm not so good with the details and the numbers. I think it is volume four. Uh, there is a story, and this is significant because we can see how the Bodhi and the tree are now coming closer. Okay, how, how the Buddha and the tree are no longer two separate objects. It is said that, you know, when Buddha was in the Jetvana, you know, he would kind of travel and, and, and on his pilgrimages meet with people who actually wanted to listen to the Dharma. So when he was away, and I think this is something which we all will really relate to. So when the Buddha was away from uh, Jaitavan and he would be uh, you know, traveling and he, it would, he would take a lot of periods of time and he would be absent from Jaitavana, people from around would come with flowers, garlands, wreaths to meet him and he would not be there. So, of course, in those days, they didn't have Google Calendar, you know, where you could put up the Buddha's schedule. I mean, he's not going to be here from so-and-so date. I'm not going to be there. So people would just come, and they would not know where to keep these offerings. So they would leave it at the door. When, and this was great. Uh, it was greatly rejoiced. But Anathapitnika, who was a lay follower, when he got to know of it, he went to Venerable Ananda and told him, Venerable, you know, when, would you please pass this request and concern of mine to the Buddha that when he's not there and people come with these flowers and their wreaths, they don't know where to place it and actually express their love and veneration to you. So would you please pass this on? So promptly, Venerable Ananda, when the Buddha came, Tathagata came, he explained this concern. So... Uh, Ananda asked the Buddha, is there any way that we could have some sort of a shrine or something that when you're not there where people could express their love and express their uh, you know, veneration for you? So the Buddha said, yes, there is. There are three, perhaps three kinds of shrines. A shrine for the relic of the body, a shrine with something that is used or worn, or a relic of... Uh, a memorial, okay, so then the Buddha said, the Tathagata, so immediately Ananda was very happy, okay, here is a possibility, there is something that is possible. So he said, can we really make a shrine when you're alive? So uh, the Tathagata said, no, no, Ananda, not a body shrine. That kind is made when a Buddha enters nirvana. A shrine of memori memorial is improper because the connection to that depends totally on imagination. However, the great Bodhi tree can be used, which the, tree, the, the great Bodhi tree used by the Buddhas is fit for a shrine, be they alive or dead. And this is what the Buddhas share. And this is wonderful because for all of us, you know, to know that when the Buddha was alive, okay, I think I'll complete the story and then I'll share this. So the Tathagata, Ananda immediately grabbed this opportunity and he said, so can we plant a tree? Can we immediately do that? So when, as while you're away on pilgrimage, the great monastery of Jaitvana is unprotected and people have no place to show their reverence. 
shall I plant the seed of the great Bodhi tree at the gateway? And the Tathagata replied, by all means do so, Ananda, and that shall be as it were an abiding place for me. So for many of us who seek inspiration, especially when the guru, the teachers are not there and, and, and we need inspiration, sometimes an object seems not so alive, but a Bodhi tree which is alive, which where life is fully in its full form, can be such a big memory or can act as a, such a big representation of the Buddha himself. And like I said, this separation of the Buddha and the Bodhi tree can slowly, slowly merge more, especially in the context of an alive Bodhi tree, to see it alive. And one story that comes to my mind of somebody who saw no difference between the Bodhi tree and the Buddha, saw them both as almost the same. I cannot but not tell you about the story of Ashoka. In the, in the Mahavamsa chapter 18 and the Deepavamsa chapter 16, there is this beautiful story which talks about how King Ashok sends the Bodhi tree as a gift to Sri Lanka. It perhaps will be the only time, at least I don't know in history, where a king gifts another gift, another king, the gift of a tree, and both sides actually revere it. And this actually did happen in India when King Ashok decided to make this gift to Sri Lanka, the king of Sri Lanka. The story, of course, itself requires great time, but I think I will just shortly tell you this uh, because I was so moved myself when I was reading this story. You know, there were many nuns waiting to get ordained in Sri Lanka and King Ashok's daughter and when uh, Bhikkhuni Sangamitta was supposed to go to Sri Lanka and ordain them. So it was with her that this Bodhi tree, the sampling of the Bodhi tree was being carried to Sri Lanka. So it is said that for Ash King Ashok, this tree was like Buddha, that he said he didn't want to use any sharp object to even cut it or even touch it. Then it became a question that if you don't cut it, then how do you kind of put it into a pot and or you know into a vessel and send it so he this the whole tree was decorated with you know if you, it, the, there is a two paragraphs just on the decorations and the you know what all was done uh, to just uh, you know diamonds and all precious stones and music was playing the garlands he did everything he possibly could do to show his love for this tree. And then he took his army and put a curtain around the tree and he sat there 
with this intent in his heart that I, I don't want to even, you know, hurt you even a bit. And suddenly, leaving around four hands, you know, approximately four hands, the rest, this, this, this branch that was remaining was called a Dakshina, uh, you know, Shakha or the southern branch. So this, leaving this branch, the entire tree just disappeared. And Ashoka was so, I mean, imagine, I know this doesn't kind of fit in our head, but it, 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 he was so moved by what happened that he actually just knelt down and cried, seeing this, that, hey, I give you my entire kingdom. I venerate you, O tree, and please take my entire kingdom. I offer it to you. You know, most of us, when we go to a tree, it's mostly to receive something, either a fruit or a medicine. And here was the king who was giving up everything he possibly had to a tree. And that, I don't think, is a very normal thing, especially for an emperor. Believe me, remember, just remember what he had. He had lots. And he was willing to give all that to a tree. And then he sat there and he said, if, if my faith and my love is genuine, he placed this bowl which was golden. I'm not going to describe it because, I mean, if a person can give up his kingdom, definitely the bowl would be made of gold and, you know, all those kind of... Uh, of course, that also has a story of who made this vessel. But he kept this vessel under that and he said, if this, my love and my devotion and my faith is genuine, please fall on your own and place yourself in this bowl. And that is exactly what happened. And with such joy and with such magic, this is how the, the branch was placed in the bowl and then began the journey from here up to the border. It must have been somewhere near Tamil Nadu and Kerala border. It was carried with great joy and, you know, songs and music and people going and passing through the Vindhyas. And imagine, I'd like you to actually see this picture in your mind. I mean, all of them going with... Where else can this happen? There's a tree, bark tree going and the people going with it. And when he reached the shore, and I'm cutting it pretty short because, you know, of time. When he reached there and he had to let go and he had to place this in the boat, he had this mixed emotions as if it was, on one hand, the great joy of having Mind you, he was, this is not a tree for him. This was the Buddha who was going. So the joy of the Buddha going to a land and the Dharma going there, at the same time, a tiny bit of, oh, the Buddha is going there. Both mixed emotions and sending the tree off. This whole thing is mentioned in great detail and it would be nice for you to read this. And this, uh, the current tree that you see, right now, is actually a direct descendant of the tree that went to Sri Lanka. So it was 
in it's in Anuradhapura, where it was, you know, kept. And in fact, most of the trees that you see today, the Bodhi trees, are little saplings got from Sri Lanka's Anuradhapura, and this is one of them. <coughs> it was planted in the Mahamegavana at the Royal Gardens at Anuradhapura, where it survives till the present day, making it the the oldest recorded historical tree in the world. Since the, the Bodhi tree symbolizes the Buddha, the qualities of the Buddha are attributed to the tree as well. So now, as you can see from the story, the Bodhi tree and the Buddha are not so separate. Like I said, though in the beginning I started with what I would want to say for 28 minutes, it was quite the opposite as I started exploring. But one thing that I want, wish to share with you is that the question that I had in my mind was given the theme of the festival, an Indian remembering an Indian from the past. I wanted to know that do people still remember the, this connection, even in today, in the modern day, between the Bodhi tree and the Buddha? So there are some stories which while scanning through newspaper articles and archives, there are a few of them I thought I can mention for you. But before that, the unfinished story of Osho, yeah, as to what he had to say about this relationship between the Buddha and the tree. And if any of you know anything about him, you know he's someone who, you know, is a great, great storyteller. So one of the things one, one of the experiments that was conducted in America with a few, uh, there was a commission that was set up to find out how does telepathy really work and, and does it really work? This is all Osho I'm going to quote, okay? Uh, so the commission really studied and they, you know, kind of uh, studied all over the world and they said, yes, yes, and they made a report. And the report said, yes, telepathy does work, but they didn't know how. Okay, nobody could tell them, all the people who were able to do this, how it actually worked. So, one of the tribes, you know, had many, many villages, and there's a particular interesting story which has a context of the tree, and that is why perhaps he mentions it here, that there was a tribe with many villages, and he found that this tribe in every village had a tree, which was a sacred tree, which they used to communicate from one village to another village. So the people in the commission were very curious, like how is this really happening? So they decided to stay with them and actually see it in operation. So when they stayed in this village, they found out that, yeah, it, you know, it's like, for example, if a lady forgot something and she wanted to communicate to her husband who was in another village uh, to shop, she would use this tree and there was an, a similar tree like that in the other village. And when he came in the evening, he did have that. So, of course, the people in this commission are baffled. How is it working? In today's age, SMS, you know, radio and all that works, and we, we really don't think about how, how it's, I mean, we, we know how it works. So, 
the point was somehow this tree was being used to communicate from generations to from generations in this particular tribe forefathers and they venerated this tree they took care of it they maintained its continuity replanting it ensuring it's healthy and so osho says that perhaps this is the reason why the buddhists revere the bodhi tree so much and then he goes on to say and this is something i think i have to read in his own words he says when the buddha became enlightened and this is what he had to say when the buddha became enlightened the tree must have deeply absorbed something of buddha's mind stream it was an unprecedented and extraordinary event the experience of enlightenment happening to the buddha even if a lightning strikes a tree the tree gets burnt so it is not difficult to imagine then buddha got enlightened the tree too became enlightened in some way when buddha must have become tired in meditation he would have walked by that tree for hours on end this the next sentence is typically osho buddha did not live with anyone as much as he did with that tree he could not have lived with any human being with as much ease and innocence as he had did with this tree he slept under it sat under it walked under it he must have talked to it the whole life energy of the tree was filled and saturated and charged by the buddha in in ancient time punch marked coins are the very first known coins of india the satvahana kings who were buddhist kings had actually taken out a coin called tree with a railing where the coin had the symbol of what you see exactly right here with a little railing and a tree there and this was used as a currency and this was their way of remembering the buddha what a lovely way to remember especially with currency another story much more recent from kerala this was in one of the newspapers one mr kutikrishnan nair in the 1950s was on a pilgrimage to this part of the world he took a small seed from of the bodhi tree and when he went back he planted it on his own paddy field the tree not only did he do that he built a small shrine under the tree and since what is interesting is there was no buddhist in this village he built the shrine he got the statue he requested the statue from the tamil bodh mahabodhi sangha to get the statue from sri lanka and he, the shrine was placed right under the bodhi tree and his entire family and this is all done with his personal resources and since there is no buddhist in the village every villager every householder takes turns to light the lamp every day in this shrine not only that on buddha purnima the whole there is a huge celebration put up by the villagers and slowly the word spread and now many many people join on in this festival during buddha purnima and this is this is still 
being done in the same village. Now, of course, there is more active support. Just two or three quick references of the Bodhi tree being remembered even today, whether it is in Nagpur, in the Vihara, where besides the Vihara, there is the Bodhi tree, and the which was the Bodhi tree was planted at Diksha Bhumi from the branches of the Bodhi tree at Anuradhapura in Sri Lanka, in Madhya Pradesh in Vidisha, which is right just last two months ago, where in a school, in the Olympus High School, they actually planted the Bodhi tree along with, and this too, the sapling was got from Anuradhapura in, from Sri Lanka, and the the place, all the people in that area together did this, so, and, and made sure that there was a, the tree was planted along with a small temple, a small shrine. And finally, I just have to mention here that being a little curious, I wanted to know if people also in other parts of India do remember. So, having written to a friend from Kashmir, to know if any such remembrance is still there, very kindly, a Sufi master, when I spoke to him, very, very happily agreed to write for me a story on his remembrance of the Bodhi tree and the Buddha. Unfortunately, I was not able to get the story in time. But what I would like to share is, yes, there were even people there who did remember the Buddha even in today's times. Thanks to some friends in Gujarat who brought this connection for me from the Jatak story, which I said, many professors and narrative storytellers telling me, yes, please look at this. The effort, what I'm trying to say is that what is heartening to know was that people do remember the Buddha and the Bodhi tree and the connection they both have. Thank you so much for this, for patiently listening. Thank you.